Welcome to With All The Champions, a podcast that looks back at the moments that have shaped the Carlton Football Club. Here are your hosts, Tony DeBolfo and Howard Cotton. Welcome to the show, and today we are talking to one of football's greatest showmen who had the ability to win a game off his own boot. In 98 games with the Blues after being recruited from Campbelltown in Tasmania, he reached spectacular heights as a key member of the 1968 and 70 Premiership teams. He could play anywhere and reserved his best performances for the biggest stage. His grand contribution to Carlton was recognised in 2018 when he was admitted to the club's Hall of Fame. Today we are going back to round 21 1971 at the Junction Oval when he made his comeback to football after suffering from osteomyelitis. It was his first game since the famous 1970 Grand Final. It is a pleasure to speak to Brent Tasman Croswell on With All The Champions. Round 21, 1971 takes us back a fair bit, 50 years, but I'd like to start off by actually reading a, uh, a story that appeared in the Sun News Pictorial the day before you came back. Brent Croswell, hero of Carlton's Premiership win last year, is back in the team for tomorrow's match against Fitzroy. And his selection earned him a kiss of congratulations from Anne Carlin of West Brunswick at Peter Poynton's Hotel Carlton, where Croswell works. That was obviously a workmate of yours there, Brent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Croswell was stricken with osteomyelitis this year, and it was feared his football days might be over. But he made a great recovery and has played with Carlton Reserves in the past two weeks. So tomorrow, Carlton fans will see a new-look Croswell back in the senior side with crew cut, a slight moustache, and a goatee beard in the <laughs> making. Do you remember that one? And a warning that his football future is still in doubt. I will make a decision at the end of the season, he said. Well, of course you were. You did play on, Brenton. Thankfully, you did. But yes, you, you came back and uh, you had the crew cut and a slight moustache and the goatee beard and uh, you were working at Peter Poynton's Hotel at the time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, I cut my hair off because I was about, I don't know, two and a half weeks in hospital. It was hot and um, I had longish hair then and it was very itchy and uncomfortable and I I couldn't have a shower, as it turns out, at that point, and uh, I just wanted to get my hair off. So when I came out, I just I, I cut cut my hair off. That's that part of it, but there's plenty of other parts of it, obviously. But you know, yeah, um, yeah, it was a it was a, a very difficult situation. So I got a blood blister on my toe at the bottom of my toe from wearing you know, other players' boots, which is a bad habit of mine. But um, yeah, and it got infected. I got septicemia. In fact, according to Big Nick, I nearly died. But uh, you know, it might have been a bit of a, a bit of rhetoric on his part, but um, it was a difficult situation, certainly. You know. Well, look, it was an unforgettable comeback because, in many ways, but of course, you 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 kicked four goals in in, in that game. But uh, of course, most people remember it for the the uh, what it's been termed the fog game, Brent. And uh, you were maybe one of the only players that were able to see the ball. <laughs> well, look, it was a, an extraordinary event. So I have to say, I mean, it was a beautiful sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. Uh, we were going to win it for certain. You know, we're back a bit in front at halftime. I might have even been more in front. I don't I don't know. We're going to win the game anyway. We came into the, into the rooms and when we came out, it was just a completely different uh, situation. It was uh, a fog or whatever they call it, mist. We couldn't see. We couldn't see at all. I couldn't see. Um, I was on the, on the wing. I couldn't see half forward. I, I couldn't see the scoreboard. Didn't know what the scores were. And we kept on playing, and I can't understand why we did that. I mean, why wasn't why didn't Barras just stop the game? Just don't allow it to go on. I mean, Fitzroy won. It was ridiculous, and of course, that that was the, really the game that determined Carlton not uh, reaching the finals. That's you know, right. Was that? 
That's right. Well, I mean, I think the emergency umpire had to run from each end to tell the goal umpires whether there, there was a score. I mean, and, and then, yeah, I think I mean, it was bizarre. It was yeah. really quite, quite. It was bizarre. I've never seen anything like, and I was very disappointed as you would be. You know, you, I was going pretty well. I thought <laughs> I'll do all right in the next half, but you couldn't see so. That was the end of that. I was a spectator at that game when you were playing, and it, it, to me it looked like something out of a Warner Brothers cartoon where you saw uh, the, this this fog, I guess, permeating the ground. All I could see beneath the fog were players' boots um, and nothing else. And um, I can recall one set of Carlton boots turning to a Fitzroy set of boots in the back pocket and then suddenly seeing Norm Brown, the Fitzroy player, uh, prostate on the ground, um, having been decked by, I think, Vin White. Um, the, <laughs> the thing was, no one saw it, of course, because of the uh, incredible fog that prevailed. Yeah, exactly. Look, it, it was a, I just wondered whether it was a common thing. Occasionally a mist would come in and over that particular ground, but I've never heard of it since, and it, it was truly bizarre. There's no doubt about that. Did you play a lot of games at the Junction Oval? It was a boutique stadium, it, wasn't it? It, it? it was a beautiful oval. It was the most perfect surface. And because we, we didn't, no one played on it that much, I think, at that point. Uh, most of the other ovals were, were appalling, and it, the surface was appalling. And the MCG was the worst for lot. I mean, I hated playing there. Um, you couldn't judge the bounce at all. It just did weird things. It, you know, it, it was a it was a disgrace, actually. I mean, absolutely. You played in the, in this particular game, and then the next game, you played uh, two games alongside uh, a guy that you really admired, a guy called Bill Barrett. And I know that uh, you, you took uh, you know you loved Bill because he was a bit of a showman. Just talk about playing alongside Bill in these two games. Well, you know, when Bill Bill came from Richmond to Carlton, uh, Billy loved to work for weights, you know, and uh, he was very powerful, you know. Um, he, he built up, but he built he built up too much, and he had to carry that weight, you know. And I I know, I know what that was like. I did it myself to some extent, and uh, it's not easy to do that. And it gets in the way of uh, it got in the way of Billy's game, you know. He used to carry this this bulk around, but he was a he was a great player, and um, he he didn't get have a great time at Carlton particularly, but I I I, I uh, loved the way he played, and um, he was a fantastic kick of a ball, and. Um, in fact, I played on him in, in the, the, I think it was the third game I played uh, in 1968 and um, in the centre. And if you left him, for, you left him for five minutes, the, the Richmond players all handball over your head to him because he just used to kick the ball, you know, down from centre to to uh, full forward. That was their strategy. So he was a very hard player to play on because you just couldn't leave him, you know. Well, I mean, and also the other thing that um, notable for the, for this game was that uh, I think Ian Collins was on the bench. We'll read the team out uh, later, but uh, Ian Collins was on the bench and Sergio Silvani was playing in this game. And, and as it turned out that they played their last games uh, the following week uh, against Collingwood. So uh, that was uh, their, their – and Barassi, of course, his last game of, as, as coach of Carlton was in the, that last game against Collingwood as well. Yeah, look, it, it it was really when I think about it now. I mean, you know, um, these great players of Sergio Silvani. It was, you know, you'd almost be the first player I'd pick to play in a team of mine. You know, in in that context, you know, he, he was the sort of player that you'd, you'd want to have in your team before almost anyone else. Him and Big Nick for the almost the two that I'd pick first of all. Ahead of players of, you know, in in, in many respects of greater ability. I'm talking about. Um, Jezzelinkos and and, and uh, you know the Glenn Dennings and the Blights and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I'd have those two guys. It's sad too. I mean, and and, and 
Collo was a typical, you know, back pocket player and still filthy dirty, but, you know, <laughs> typical, you know, all elbows and he treadled over you if he got in the way and that kind of thing. But it was sad to, you know, when you think these their last few games and they're not at their best and they've got to sort of linger on. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad reflection in some respects, you know. You've had your, your health issues and you came back from this uh, osteomyelitis. Was, was this related or did, did it relate to the Meniere's disease that affected you later or is it just a separate disease? The Meniere's came after, actually. I was about 33 when I began to, you know, I got this Meniere's problem. Um, but the osteomyelitis thing, well, it was a for, I got a form of osteomyelitis which just it eroded a bit of my sacroiliac joints. The infection moved around in the bloodstream and, and lodged in, in, that, in that joint. And luckily, it's an immovable joint, and I, I was able to, to come back. But it was, you know, it was a bit of a risk too. But, um, you know, fortunately, it was, it, I was able to, to keep going and not have any problems later on with this. And, uh, yeah. We certainly hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you get new episodes as they become available. Brent, we're talking about characters again, alluding or taking you back a little bit further now to 1968, the drought-breaking grand final victory over Essendon. Another player that you know we, we don't hear a lot about these days who was front and centre in that particular game, Brian Kekovic. To, you know, I mean, to kick four out of seven goals in a, in a winning grand final team is quite extraordinary, and yet we don't know a lot about Brian Kekovic. Can you, can you fill in the gaps for um, the listeners that may not have seen Brian play? Yeah, look, I, I really love Brian Kikovic. He's a sort of a mate of mine. We, you know, Jonesy gags me, and Kicker would go out on the, on the Saturday night. He was he was he's an enigmatic player. He never he never he just used to disappear about half past eight on a Saturday night. And um, he was a very very he was slow, but he had tremendous uh, a, a, you know a good a good football brain, a very very good kick. He was tough, and um, you know. He was just a, a delightful guy, and uh, he was kind of um, yeah, I, I liked him very much. And um, it, what happened, of course, he hurt his back, and um, he, he just couldn't bend over, and he just and, and it just destroyed his his career. I'm sure he, ha- he had a career at Carlton, you know. Um, I mean, all the Kikovic's were great football players. I mean, you know, they, they all were great great sportsmen. Yes. Um, and I, you know, it was, it was sad that he, he, you know, he had to suffer with this horrible back injury. And of course, when you talk about these these extraordinary characters that you know were, were brought together at a at a football club at a particular um, point in time, isn't it fantastic that we saw so much flair and finesse? Uh, you know, these these players, yourself included, that could bring so much to the game of football. Do you, do you lament the fact that? You know, you know the robotic nature of the game means that some of this flair and individual brilliance has sort of been you know, coached out of it. Or, or do you have hope for the game um, as an observer these days, watching on? Well, I think the game has suffered, um, you know, because of the um, the lack of um, you know flamboyancy. You know, I mean, you know, in those days we had goodies and baddies, and um, and that paradoxically, I mean, we don't want to go back to that time when people are, you know. Knocking each other about a bit and doing and then you know doing the sorts of things that went on in those days, but paradoxically it, it enhanced the game. It enhanced the game. It, made, it gave the game attention, a kind of you know yeah, just gave that. And as it does when we watch films. I mean, you know, you watch a, a film. We we always there's always a bad, you know, there's a goodie, you know. I mean, and once the game began to get cleaned up, 
for mums and dads and all this sort of thing, the game lost something, you know. It yes. lost something. Yes. And, 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 of course, once you pay players big money, <clears throat> you've got some power to discipline them in some way, you know. In those days, just even the umpire was a character in those days. I mean, the umpire was a, 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 a figure of, um, a comic figure, you know, who was abused and, and the humour and the laughter and the outer and the, you know, the was one, one umpire. Um, that was a wonderful part about the game, you know. There was so many aspects of the old game we don't see now, you know, and um, the game suffers. I mean, it was a... When you think about it, I mean, we we had... Uh, it was a, The game that I played was a sort of game that was structured, you know, it wasn't this rambling and players running all over the place and huge uh, packs around the, the ball. Uh, you had, uh, in, uh, around the game, you had these, these battles going on. Hudson might be battling on against Lofts up at full, full forward and you'd be watching that and then be another a battle going on, say, centre-half back and so on. And all the players um, with their different characters and so on had their different places on the field itself. So the, the ground itself had... Habitats, if you like, where you'd find these players. A little go out in the wing. You'd have a sort of um, different type of personality at centre half back, for example, and 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 Collins, for example, that typical back pocket mean little bugger. And and, and you know, and the players were more physically distinctive. You know, you know, big Nick. You, you know, you can pick him. You can pick him out on the moon. I mean, if you, you could see this guy um, miles off, and there was Surge who couldn't kick the nuts, you know, and this, this is going on all over the place. So today you don't have that. It's just lost a lot of that. And there's a whole range of other things I could mention that, that, are, that are, I think are weaknesses in, in the game today is a dramatic spectacle. And, and, as, as a, and also from the point of view of meaning, Yes. So I don't want to go into that. would take a thesis to do that. But um, <laughs> anyway. No, very true. And we as theatre goers, uh, Brent, watching on, we're, we're spoiled for goodies and baddies because as well as VFL football the weekend, you could tune in on a, a Sunday to World Championship Wrestling and um, you could see, you know, um, Mario, Milano, Mario Milano and uh, Tex McKenzie and, and <laughs> Haystacks Calhoun and all these goodies and baddies that yeah. just uh, brought brought so much flair and finesse <laughs> as, as you did when you were running around on a football oval. Well, you know, I mean, I loved um, Teddy Whitten too. I mean, you know, I, I loved Ted and I loved Billy Barrett and all those guys and I thought they brought something to the game and, you know, and, and I thought I liked it. When I was very young, I started when I was 17, I thought I'd bring something to the game myself that way and um, uh, because I, I just felt, <clears throat> you know, that was significant, that's all. And, um, but um, yeah, I, mean, I don't watch football today because um, you know it doesn't doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't appeal to me particularly. Having having seen something better, that's all. I mean, the game is fine today if you haven't witnessed the old game. If you weren't there in the outers and so on in the old game with the wonderful grounds that were unique with their history um, uh, and um, the um, yeah the tribal nature of the game. It was just it, essentially the, the game was best when it was a Melbourne based. Melbourne based and there was tribal football and that's that's my my view. Brent, you you beautifully articulate uh, football when you talk about it and and I re- recall fondly your your series of articles for the Age how beautifully you wrote about the game and and, and different parts of the game that that were in, of interest to you to write. Can I ask you to just um, a couple of points to to 
paint the picture for um, supporters around these days that perhaps don't remember the Princess Park that you you trained and played at. Can you set the scene a bit of Princess Park and what you remember of it, the the, the place, and 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 how how you 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 thought about the ground? Well, you know, the grounds then had had you know these ovals were set in in their in the in the in the various territories. The inner city areas had their had their particular ground, which was a cherished place. It was a, it was had all this fantastic history, and you know, families would walk to the ground. You know, uh, generations of families would walk to the ground. It linked generations from you know, um, and um, Princess Park was a beautiful name. You know, it was named beautifully. You know. Um, and all the the grounds had lovely names, you know, Cadinia Park, you know, Victoria Park, the Western Oval, you know, uh, Arden Street, and so on. And they had their, and they were unique. I mean, Princess Park was set in this beautiful, verdant parkland. I mean, when I first saw this ground, I thought, my God, what a what a place, you know. Um, it's, it's the best sporting oval, you know, you could possibly find. Certainly, I mean, Victoria, you know, and um, it was just exquisite, and. Um, the ground itself was the perfect size. Everything about it was wonderful. And and then they had, you know, people would throw streamers onto the ground. So the ground was all this colour of blue and white streamers down in the goal area, which annoyed everyone, on the, <laughs> annoyed the players, but it was wonderfully colourful. And, yeah. uh, and what you what you got, players ran down the, and compared, compare it to today, players run, ran down the race for the first time. They didn't go out an hour earlier and start doing, you know, drills and stuff. I mean... To me, that's absurd. You don't want players and you know all over the place, all over the ground, an hour before the start of the the, the, the game. I mean, it demystifies players. It yep. takes away that enigma, the, the aura, if you like, and and and, and it's so undramatic. I mean, in in our day, the players would come down for the first time, up, and the seconds there'd be a, and the seconds would end, and then there'd be a say, I don't know, fifteen minute pause, and the tension would build up. That there'll be policemen around the edge of the end of the ground. And then the players would, the players, the Carlton team would come down. The big Nick or, or, or you know, or Teddy Whitten or, or Billy Goggin or whoever, you know, or, or Des Tuttenham. And it was just tremendously exciting. Now, players are out there fiddling around, doing, some doing kicks, some doing something else. You can't, it's just dull and uninteresting. And then they come out again in a different, in a different sort of outfit, you know. It's just bizarre. <laughs> it now, Carlton, bizarre. Carlton was... Was, it was fantastic. I mean, I can't say any more about it. It's it, it, you know yes. about that, that yes. particular place. And, and I, I suspect, uh, uh, Brent, when when grand rationalisation was brought in, and the, and the and the games were taken away from the, from those boutique grounds to the to the big venues, that a lot of the clubs perhaps lost uh, part of their DNA because that those grounds defined the the, the respective clubs who the teams who played at it. Absolutely. Look, really, you're spot on there with that. I, you know, the grounds themselves were, as I say, they were, they were sacred places. You know, Glen Ferry, for example, had a railway line. In fact, it was, a, it was a rectangle. It had a railway line that ran along the side and a swimming pool at the top end. And um, on one occasion, the, on the occasion, the ball would lob into the swimming pool, you know. <laughs> on one occasion, one occasion, the um, ball lobbed into the swimming pool. Ted Whitten was playing uh, captain coach of Colling- uh, from Footscray. And he said, I want the ball back. And um, they held the game up to get the, get the ball back because he was such a, <laughs> such a figure. They, they were intimidated by, the, by these great, great figures, the umpires, and they had to wait five minutes to get the ball back. But every, every, these grounds are wonderful. People that went there remember, remembered 
you know, Hudson kicking a fantastic goal at that point and something else happening at this other point. Uh, Carlton the same and, and and all these other ovals. I mean, Windy Hill was windy, you know. Um, 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 Arden Street had a disometer. Um, you know, uh, Victoria, Victoria Park. Park has black and white stripes on the, on, the, on its uh, on the headquarters there. You know, <laughs> yeah. you go through every oval and they have something distinctive. You yeah. mentioned these ovals; they lose, they're losing something. They lost something um, when the when the game was rationalised. Yeah, they lost a hell of a lot, and I think they lost a, a good a good a good bit more than they think. You know. Must have been a shock to the system, Brent, to leave the verdant surrounds of Princess Park for the for the gasometer and the dog food factory down the road at North Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, actually, I, I didn't mind the, the smaller ovals too because you had that sense of uh, people right there, and, and and North had a wonderful atmosphere. And I must admit, it was a, you know you did drop down a class or two, and then of course you got you got Footscray out there. Well, you know, it was a pretty rough Saturday out there because uh, you know they often didn't have hot water turned on and um, then, you know, we've got a really freezing cold Melbourne day and the Carlton players hated going out there because they always, invariably always lost. And um, I remember, you know, Brucey Dool, who, who believed, for example, that he, that he was very concerned about his hair and he thought if he got, had a shower or he washed his hair, shall I say, he'd lose it. <laughs> and uh, he, he wouldn't put his head under uh, the shower and he was standing out there, it was freezing cold. And... Um, I think about you know three months later, I, 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 he came in. He said the same that the, the soil was the same soil. He, he hadn't sort of, you know, was still stuck there. That's why he got the the nickname. I think doormat. Doormat. Because the head wouldn't settle down. You know, it was just yeah. stuck like a like a carpet on the top of your head. <laughs> We're on social media. Give us a like on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram and follow us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. I sense, Brent, that, uh, you know, you, you, now that, uh, well, certainly in, in recent times since you were in, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, that you certainly uh, embraced the Carlton Football Club. And, again, I know you played at three clubs, but uh, just talk about your relationship with a number of people there. I know, I know that you, you had to leave Carlton. Uh, I think it was your last game at Carlton was round one, 1975. But, uh, you, you you know, just your relationship with a lot of the, the people there at Carlton, uh, you know, how did you, uh, you – you obviously had an interesting relationship with Barassi, but other people as well. Well, you know, um, yeah, it's, um, I'm just thinking that, um, you know, I got on well with everyone there. I had, you know, enormous problems with Barassi and uh, – at, at, at certain points, you know, um, I started when I was only 17, and I, you know, I was uh, in awe of players initially, and um, you know, uh, but there were some great players there, um, you know. And I, I look, and Jesse Lincoln, of course, we all talk about him, but he was a phenomenal player, and you know how good he was because the opposition players, the, the blokes that played on him, were just become exasperated, and they just couldn't stop him. And really great players, you just can't stop blokes like uh, Jesse Lincoln and. Uh, Blights and the Glenn Dennings and the and the and the Bartlett's and stuff like that and the, the Matthews you can't stop them and and it's um you know we had a few of those players there it was a very very tough side initially then it got talented with with the toughness and once the surge and and, and Big Nick faded away it became a little less tough but you needed tough players to 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 win you can't win a grand final without two or three tough players in the side you know when I say tough I mean really sort of frightening players in the in the team you know. But um, I'm just thinking, yeah, Jones, Peter Jones, for example, is a much underestimated player. You know, he's a very, very significant player in that in that ruck combination at Carlton. He was a very hard player to move. He's very heavy. He was extremely tall. He was, he was smooth. He was a very, he was a very good kick for goal. Um, 
Who else is in that team? So those teams, I can't. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll actually give me a name or two. Well, what, I, what I'll do, Brent, is I'll read out the team from that game against uh, at Fitzroy at the Junction Oval. This might uh, jog your memory a bit. It'll be mm. from from the back line. Was uh, the Carlton team was Gill, Southby, Waite, halfbacks Fife, Mackay, Duell, centres mm. Warden, Barrett, Croswell, half forwards Jackson, Ian Robertson, and Kevin Hall. Fords, Jones, Jezelenko, Armstrong, Rux, Nichols and Silvani, Rover, Gallagher and the 19th and 20th, of course, in those days, Collins and Chandler. So that, that, was, yeah, a, that um, was a pretty talented team there, Brent. Yeah, very, very talented team. Now, Ian Robinson's a player too that I, I admired a lot. He was tough. He was very tough. But he was the most beautiful kick I've ever seen. And he was a mo- absolutely beautiful kick. He could kick a drop, a beautiful drop kick almost every time. Um you know, he was he was a strong guy. He was six foot one, and uh, he um, yeah. You see, in those days, we had lots of different kicks, and we had six different kicks we could we could use. And today, there's only two. I mean, there's a boomerang, and then there's, there's a drop punt. Yeah. But no one kicks a torpedo today. No one no one kicks a, a stab kick. No one kicks a um, a flat punt. You no. know. Well, Hutto used to and, kick uh, those for goal, didn't he? And so did Big Nick. Yeah. You know, and the, and. Um, so you, even in even in the area of kicks, you know, the game today just doesn't measure up. You know, and, I mean, I would like players to you know, let the fullback come out today and force the fullback to kick a drop kick every time he kicks out, and get to bring the drop kick back in. So then you then you've got this this wonderful kick. It's it's just gorgeous to see a great drop kick go, and Robbo could really do that. Uh, Brent, are you an advocate for the inclusion of a Tasmanian team in the Australian Football League? Well, I am. I mean, I, I'm not a, an accountant, but, um, you know, Tasmania was, was one of those original football states and, um, you know, there was, you know, <laughs> it, was a, it was a cricket and football state and, and, and it had some great players. I mean, you know, uh, Bulldogs and, and, and uh, the Hearts and, the, you know, um, and Hudson, you know, a great player, you know, really great player. You know, if someone kicks 14 goals in a game, you can imagine how, how good they've got to be. <laughs> yeah. And, Brent, speaking of playing the game, I mean, the bigger the, the occasion, the better it was for you, it seemed. You know, you, you really seemed to find your, your zone in big games, you know, in front of big crowds. Were, were you a nervous type before the game or, or did you find that the, the big game had the opposite effect, that you really lifted for, for those occasions and you, you wanted to be front and centre? Well, firstly, you know, I was I'm not a nervous type, you know. I don't I, I I have too much confidence, you know. I had absolute confidence in what I was doing and I and, and the pressure didn't worry me one I out and never even never even had an effect on me at all. I wasn't a, a great necessarily a great finals player, particularly I, I as I said, I didn't like the M C G and um, I didn't play that many good games there. I had you know, there were moments when I played really well, you know, as as final series, but you know, not not by the, the standards I would, would would set myself. You know, there were games, for example, I, I, I you know, Brassy insisted I played where I was injured and should never have played. The, the ninety sixty eight grand final I had a bust at collarbone. I should never have even been out in the field. You know, yeah. And I, and because Brassy always insisted that I play, he always used to threaten me. Actually, um, I, I couldn't. You know, just say I can't. I just can't go out there, you know. No, no. But no, I mean, so I, I, I didn't. I don't think I had um, that much success really in, in, in finals. Well, you talk about sixty-eight and seventy, but of course there was the disappointment of seventy-two 
Brent, uh, when you were injured just before that uh, that grand final, and uh, I think you were, it was a training session the, the Thursday night before the grand final. Yeah, I, I just went up for Mark and came down and landed on someone's foot and went over on my ankle. It was a was really bad ankle injury, and that was the end of it. I mean, I just missed that, that grand final. And, um, yeah, so that that's one gone. That was one. And another grand final in the against Collingwood, I, Barassi, the runner, a runner came out and said, "You know, Brath wants you to take your man to the fence." And I just stood on the boundary and watched the game. That was another game final gone. Um, you know, uh, because of the dominance of ba- Baker at full forward, they just wanted him. Just wanted, wanted Baker just one out there. Um, you know, so many games and grand finals, I just wasn't in a position to play at all. Hardly, you know. Yeah. I'll just read out the scores of that fog game, Brent. Of course, mm. Fitzroy did win the game, 15-15-105 to Carlton, 11-16-82. You kicked four goals. Gags kicked two. Armstrong, Jackson, Jezelenko, Jones and Robertson. So we only got 11 goals that day. You kicked four of them. And, of course, the following week you kicked five. But, unfortunately, it wasn't enough uh, on that second last round to get Carlton into the finals. Yeah. Oh, yes. It was a, It was really depressing. I mean, you know, with no doubt we're a far better side, obviously, than Fitzroy. And I, I think it was a real um, blunder for Barras not just stopping the game and just going out and just saying this is ridiculous, which it was. Yes. Ch- changing tack for a moment, Brent. Have you ever had occasion to meet up with the, the playwright David Williamson to see whether he actually modelled Jeff Haywood, the, the lead <laughs> character, on yourself? No, I, I haven't actually. Well, I've never met. I, you know, I'm not sure whether he, whether he did that. Not maybe he did. I mean, you know, I'm not sure really. I mean, it was a. <laughs> I, I just can't answer the questions. Fickle. <laughs> and finally, I suppose we've got to ask you about your health. I know that you are. I think you're driving now. You, you've got more mobility. So just uh, inform uh, the listeners about just how you are at this particular point of time. Well, well, I'm. You know, I'm, my balance is not terrific, but I'm. I can. I can function. I can do things. I, you know, um, the condition I've got is a, it's a chronic condition. It goes away, comes back, goes away, comes back. And, you know, I, I, I'm fine now. I feel good, but I, I can't be sure that it's not going to come back again. I mean, it, two, two years ago, it, it came back and, and I was in real trouble for two years, you know. So I'm really very happy to be, you know, to be, be able to really live a, a full life. You know, things I can't do, but... Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy to be well and, and, and functional and, and so on. Brent, there's been so much said and written about you over the uh, over the journey and, and I want to ask you, uh, as as I said earlier, someone who articulates um, the, the game as magnificently as you are, as you do, how would you best describe yourself as a footballer? Oh, it's a tricky question, mate. I, I very rarely get a, a question um, that's as interesting as that and also it's a bit uh, intimidating for me to to try and do that, and I try and steer clear of, um, uh, of uh, describing myself. Particularly, I, it, it seems a bit like a conceit, and I don't want to. I want really want to tackle that. Uh, uh, really, I suppose. Um, no, you've probably answered that very well, actually. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I. You know what I mean. I don't want to be. I don't want to be sort of, you know, talking about myself. In, 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 in. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting question. I would talk. I would say so. People privately, I think, if I was pushed, but I, I don't want to do it in public. Like, I understand I that. So, so in the reverse, can I ask you what what Carlton actually meant to you? Well, you know, I first began to follow Carlton when I looked at a oh one of those uh, chewing gum card things. What are they called anyway? Scanlon's card. Yeah, it was, it was Wes Loss, and uh, I thought Wes Loss was one of my favourite players. You know, and um, 
And uh, so, I, and I like navy blue and all this kind of stuff. And that was my first uh, identification with the, the Carlton Club. And uh, and I just love the, uh, when, you know, when you're so young and you come to this fantastic football stadium and with all the traditions of lovely, the beautiful Guernseys, the, it was just exhilarating, you know. And the, the, the club, the club is really the, the, the premier club in, in terms of, in terms of the, the its appearance and, and and traditions and and so on, you know, it yeah, I, that it just stands out in 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 my in my career, football career, certainly. Well, Brent, we've been very very grateful to uh, hear from you again. We're here, we're we're happy that you're you're feeling well today, and uh, that, and we hope that you do keep well. And it's wonderful to uh, reminisce about a great era at Carlton and then your wonderful uh, contribution to that era and you were a magnificent player for Carlton you should never have left Carlton Brent I've told you that before you should have stayed at Carlton we wanted you to stay at Carlton I know there were reasons why you left but it was we, we did enjoy your career we I saw all of your career at uh, at Carlton and I thought you're you're one of the greatest players that I've ever seen so there you go well, thank you thanks very much mate thanks very much thank Brent. you lovely talk yeah here. pleasure mate a pleasure mate been listening to with all the champions hosted by howard cotton and tony devolfo this podcast was produced by luca ganano and mark davidson our artwork was created by eliza spiculas additional voice tracks provided by stephanie wackerley we certainly hope you've enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe so you get your new episodes as they become available and don't forget to follow us on social media we'd love to hear from you